You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids talks with Rachel Truer, Chief Marketing Officer at Cart.com. Okay, Rachel, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you share your first insight? Hi, John. Nice to see you. Thanks for inviting me to join your podcast. My first insight is that attribution without action is meaningless. Attribution without action is meaningless. I love the way you said that. What does it mean? So I'm a you know longtime B2B technology marketer, and I have been around the block when it comes to multi-touch attribution and also you know last touch, first touch attribution. And I've seen a lot of different attribution models in my career. You know, I was at Oracle. I was at Adobe for a little while. I was at a startup called Magento that was acquired by Adobe in the e-commerce space. And then most recently was at a company called Confluent, which went public in 2021. It's in the data streaming space. And now I'm at Cart. And I've seen many, many different types of attribution models, worked with a lot of great teams that are working on attribution, and also met with several peers and CMOs in the space. And all of us have the same challenges around how do we understand what is working when it comes to marketing and what do we do about it? And the biggest thing that I see happening with a lot of attribution models is that it tells you what may or may not be working or what may or may not be generating, in many cases, pipeline, in some cases, revenue. But it doesn't always tell you what to do about it. And in, in a lot of times, also, it requires some teams or somebody along the way kind of understanding now what do I do? Where do I go? And how do I fix this problem? And there's not always a model for that. Can you give an example of that? That's actually, I never thought of it like that. It'll tell you what is or what isn't working, but it won't tell you what to do about it, or at least that's not so obvious. So, can you give an example of, for instance, of something that you might see in the data and then a signal of, oh, if, if this is what you see, then this might be the action to take? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I guess I'll give a couple of high level examples. I'll try to kind of anonymize them, so to speak. You know, one I would say is, you know, you might be generating some top of funnel leads through maybe like a paid digital campaign. And over time, they might be, you know, some of those campaigns might be generating marketing source pipeline and some of them may not. And so when you're looking at, okay, this campaign A is generating, you know, 2x marketing source pipeline for my business, then campaign B, it kind of creates this kind of uh, unilateral, okay, I guess I just need to turn off campaign B and put all of my money into campaign A. And a lot of times that's kind of how marketers operate. If they're seeing better results somewhere, they might just say, if this is what the model is saying, then that's what I need to do. But what I've learned over you know, working with lots of different teams is many times the attribution model might be saying that one campaign is better than another and performing you know, in terms of having a higher ROI, but the business itself is dynamic and it's not staying the same and it might be changing. So something that's working today that's generating the right types of opportunities or the right types of leads that lead to opportunities may not actually be what the business needs. I've seen this happen over and over again because many times I'm brought into companies when they are looking to move more up market. And so they might have implemented an attribution model based on kind of historical data things that worked well for them when the company was maybe smaller, when it was a little scrappier, playing a little bit more in the SMB mid-market space. And then suddenly the business is saying, we need to go up market. We need to sell to bigger enterprise accounts. We need to target different types of personas. And the attribution model just doesn't keep up. 
So you end up with sometimes the wrong action coming out of that, or in many cases, if the business is still not seeing the results it needs. So, hey, we're not doing as well as we need to be doing on the enterprise side or in this upmarket space, but the attribution model is just saying, yeah, you're not, you're not doing very well. The marketers don't really have an answer to what action they need to take. They just continue to double down on maybe a legacy or outdated business strategy that the business has moved on from or is needing to continue to innovate upon. And that's really what I'm talking about is you create this kind of gap in action that people just don't know what to do. They kind of just keep doubling down on the same thing that's always worked. And that's not really what businesses through the S-curve and gets them to grow to that next phase of scale. You mentioned earlier the idea of first-click attribution and last-click attribution. And that's something that we see a lot. And and I don't know if it's just laziness or naivete or ignorance, but especially last-click attribution, looking at, at where the customer came from the moment they made the purchase. And oftentimes, that's why you know Google or Facebook or, or LinkedIn or whatever might get attributed, even though that customer has been in your pipeline or at least in your ecosystem for 6 months, 9 months or more. How do you get around that? Or, or I don't know if there's a quick answer there or if it's it's a lot of things together, but how do you sort of get around the the last click attribution uh, mirage? Yeah, I mean, I think most people now have moved toward more of a multi-touch attribution model. So, you know, the idea of last click is effective in some cases, you know, being able to look at what was the last thing that happened before it, it, we got to a sale is useful, but it's only useful if you look at it in context of other data points, right? And that's where I think sometimes people do get a little wrapped around the axle on attribution. I used to work with some of the founders of an attribution technology called Visible. And one of the founders told me something that's really stuck with me for, for a long time now, which is the best attribution model is the one that everyone believes in, because there is an aspect to it where you have to have faith that it's working and, and informing your approach. But you also need to understand that it's not going to tell you everything. You've got to be able to get across silos. And that's one thing, you know, at CART, we work with B2C companies and brands that are looking to scale quickly and sell more online and also offline. And one of the things that we see is that the data silos that exist, in particular in the B2C and D2C spaces, they need to be eradicated in order for these brands to really scale because the costs are so high to acquire customers and to be spending money on things that may or may not be working. And so we've actually started to work on a product that we've had a lot of success with called Cart Unified Analytics, which essentially allows businesses to take that data and look at it across multi-touches, across marketing, across their storefronts, across fulfillment, marketplaces, and even advertising feeds to be able to understand what's attracting new customers, how do I best fulfill that demand and drive revenue. And it's really giving them kind of that end-to-end visibility to take action on their attribution model. So it's actually tying into things like their fulfillment operations so that they can make sure they've got the right the right inventory in stock. And that's actually helping companies increase their margins by making sure that they're not spending money on things that are not in inventory or out of stock. And so being able to have that kind of multi-touch approach is really critical for brands today and something that's kind of table stakes at this point. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com.
I want to talk to you about sales-led growth and product-led growth. I know you you had an insight here to share. Yeah, so I'm I'm a longtime enterprise marketer, relatively new to the product-led growth space. I've been working in it really since its inception over the last few years and was lucky to have a lot of uh, great experience I gathered at Confluent, which initially started as a product-led growth company and then looked to bring in more enterprise motion into its business as you know it grew and scaled really rapidly. And now here at CART, we also have a product-led growth and sales-led growth motion. And what I've seen is that you know there is starting to become kind of like these two different camps, right? You've got people that are really true believers in a product-led growth motion, and then you've got a lot of kind of more, I would say, like legacy people that have worked in the enterprise marketing and sales space that are really rooted in that kind of high-touch environment, you know, the six-month sales cycles, you know, big deals. And it's almost like another, you know, conversation around sales and marketing alignment, although it's more product-led growth and sales-led growth alignment that I'm seeing, which is really it's about having a hybrid approach. And it's making sure that you're leveraging both sides of that funnel. So some of the things I've seen work really well there is unifying the funnel to have a singular point of view of what's happening on both sides of the businesses. And, you know, we're all familiar with kind of the traditional inbound lead funnel, you know, waterfall that everyone knows and loves. And being able to tie those same metrics and look at them in a similar fashion on the product-led growth side, they might be called different things. But understanding, you know, what is the equivalent of an MQL in the product-led growth space? What is the equivalent of an SQL in the product-led growth space? And then what is the equivalent of an opportunity? And then what are the values there, right? Because we have a really clear picture of sometimes, you know, what the values are on the sales-led side, but what are the product-led growth values that, you know, product-qualified opportunity are, and how is that different than a sales-qualified opportunity? Being able to talk on both sides of those funnels and having unified view and understand the value that they bring to the business is super important, especially for marketing executives that are working in this space today. The other big thing I would say is that it's understanding from a targeting standpoint where where you want to play. So, you know, not every persona is going to be the best persona for a sales-led growth motion and not every persona is going to be the best persona for a product-led growth motion. And if you can get your targeting really clear and concise and go after the right personas on both sides of that funnel, that's where you can really start to leverage the the opportunity that exists now with with product-led growth and sales-led growth. The other big thing I'll say is just that most companies in this space is in the tech space are not doing one or the other. They might start out doing one or the other, but inevitably they're trying to bring in the other piece, right? So it's not an either or scenario, it's an and. And the, the sooner both marketing and sales leaders can get on the same page around that and start to bring, come to the com- table with that same conversation, that's really where you start to see some of the synergy happening between the product-led growth and the sales-led growth side of the house. So all good points. The the idea of product-led growth, I mean, people will know the example of Slack where you can go onto Slack or a product like Dropbox and just start using it and then it proliferates throughout your social circle or your work circle. And frankly, you know, there's lots of examples like this in consumer products like Facebook or Twitter or really any social network. So that idea of product-led growth makes sense. The only thing, and this is a big one, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that in order for PLG to work, you have to have a product that is designed to have a smooth onboarding and a smooth sharing mechanism and a smooth, you know, first touch. And so a lot of a lot has to happen on the product side. Whereas you can have a product that's really clunky and hard to use at first, but the sales-led motion can actually work really well there because we can kind of hold your hand throughout that process. So do you think, I mean, 
PLG is great in theory, and it's great to say, hey, we can do both these things. But I feel like a lot, a lot has to go right on the product side for that to stand a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot that product-led growth improves in the product that actually helps accelerate and give scale to the sales-led side. Like you're saying, the better the product is, the better it's going to go on the sales-led side, no matter what. Your demos will be better. People will be happier as customers. A lot of product-led growth is really about not even so much new logo acquisition, but really around net retention, which in this day and age, in this macroeconomic environment is so critical. The ability to not only acquire the customer, which we know the costs are generally very high, but then retain them and grow the adoption of the product and have them consuming more and more of the product. That's really at the root of really the power of product-led growth because it, it kind of, to your point, forces the product to innovate on behalf of the customer and make it a stickier product, make it a better experience. The other thing I am seeing though, where you know I think legacy software companies or companies that where they don't necessarily have that kind of natural stickiness to the product can leverage PLG is through a sales assisted product led motion. And what I mean by that is leveraging signals in the product. So looking at how much a prospect is consuming in the product. And once they're consuming a certain amount or using a certain feature, or maybe they've activated something in the product, having someone reach out from the sales side and kind of initiate that conversation. But a big difference between, you know, maybe five or six years ago and now is the conversation needs to be not about, hey, like, are you looking to buy? Do you want to get going? Here's the contract, but really about what problems are you trying to solve? How can we help you? How is it going for you in the product? And where, you know, maybe that you didn't know about this feature, or here's something I noticed looking at, at how you've been using the product that maybe you didn't know about. And coming to the conversation with a more human, you know, element and also as a more of an assisting element versus a selling element is really critical. And companies that can do this well can see a lot of great results out of having that kind of hybrid funnel because they're able to get more efficiency out of their sales organizations and their sellers become both people that are on the on the front lines helping progress bigger deals but also nurturing and growing some of the smaller accounts into the, you know these these accounts that continue to provide you know profitability for companies by being retained I hope there are salespeople listening to this that the hard sell is not as as effective as it once was you've got to be providing solutions not just trying to get people to buy your product yeah, you know, one of Cart's values, core values is be human. And I think that's one thing I'm always kind of talking to my team about. You know, I have both our marketing organization and also our business development team. And I'm constantly kind of talking about how one of the unique things for Cart is because we are able to be human, we are able to be a little bit more innovative and disruptive in how we approach the market. We don't have to go into the market like some of the more legacy brands are going into the market with you know, these kind of sales first approaches, we can be more in a conversational, helpful manner approaching our prospects. Yeah, well put. Rachel, this was super helpful. Where can people find out more about CART and yourself? Well, for CART, just check out CART.com and uh, we're happy to happy to help. And my LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me, although I'm on literally every social media platform these days. Always an early adopter as a marketer. So you can reach out to me anywhere you'd like. Yeah, you have to be. Okay, Rachel, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. 
Learn more at Influicity.com.